a random encounter at a broadcasting facility, a shared interest and love of all things Marvel, Excelsior, a misinterpreted program title, and behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick, podcaster and comic book enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Joshua Rosenrand. And Eddie Wilson is on assignment at the bar with no name to find out why it has no name. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier for this mission brief, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and introducing our special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them with our social medias. First off, go on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at The Marvelous. You can find us individually on social media, myself, on Twitter and Instagram, at Peter Melnick. And also, you can only find one social media platform for my amigo, my compadre, my partner in rhyme, even though we don't really rhyme or rap on the show, E. Wilson, Eddie Wilson, Instagram at E Wilson nine five nine or no sorry E Wilson ninety three. Well, listen to a previous episode to find out what Eddie's Instagram handle is. <laughs> you can also find us on a wide variety of streaming platforms: TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, whatever. Just put us in your Google machine, and we will be there. Yamo be there even because God forbid I don't manage to shoehorn in a music reference. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash themarvelists or slash... Oh, wait, uh, I was going to have Eddie do it, but I'm too lazy to dig up a sound clip of Eddie saying the Marvelists, but pretend he did. You can find us on patreon.com slash themarvelists and support the show for as little as $3 a month to as high as whatever you want to do. Personally, we prefer the million dollar a month option because, well... We'd like your money. But also, it helps support the show. And when you support the show, you get a plethora of audio goodies, such as early access to the show, which you can get enabled in the $3 tier. But for $5 a month, you get our exploration of the 102 plus annuals, plus crossovers, plus whatever the hell we want to throw in of the Stanley Jack Kirby iconic run of the Fantastic Four. Every single issue we're going to be talking about. We're even going to be talking about for our one-year anniversary, because guess what, ladies and germs? I'm spoiling it right now. In August, for our one-year anniversary of Fantastic Voyage, we're going to also be covering Amazing Spider-Man number one. But Peter, why are you going to be talking about that? Well, I'm glad you asked that person who sounds exactly like me. We're going to be talking about that because of the fact that in that issue, on the cover, in the story even, Spider-Man teams up with the Fantastic Four. Huh. Crazy, right? I know person who sounds exactly like me. I can't believe it either. But what we're going to be also talking about, like I said, is issue by issue, our commentary involving the issue, as well as talking about what's going on at the time and what it meant for the overall future of the Marvel Universe. Because believe it or not, the Fantastic Four is a major, major part of what makes Marvel what it is. But like I said, support the show, patreon.com slash themarvelists. And also you can support the show 
on belowthecollar.com slash themarvelists. I know we're very creative with our slashes, but here we are. You can support us on there. Buy a t-shirt. Buy the Dad Joke Immune t-shirt, which I designed based on my all-time favorite review, which put us down yet still gave us a five-star review because they get the Al Gore rhythms. And I'm not talking about a former vice president on the drums with percussion because that's what drums are. But I digress. You play the drums? He does. Because, <laughs> you know, who doesn't want to watch Al Gore play the drums? Because that is an inconvenient uh, truth. <laughs> that joke sucked. But, Josh, let us introduce our special guest for this episode. He is a gentleman that I met on my travels throughout the world. And by throughout the world, I mean the tri-state area in New York City, Allende. Good morning as we are recording on this delightful April 3rd. And my watch just went into Siri mode and I don't want to... Could you stop it, watch? But, Allende... How are you? Happy to be here. And uh, hearing uh, Al Gore on the drums and Bill Clinton playing the sax. Now, this is episode number three of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And by the way, gentlemen, does this have a uh, title to it? Because I know last week had a title and the week before. I think last week was New... No, episode one was New World Order. And episode two was something that I didn't check. Star Spangled Man. Star, Star Spangled Man last week. And what is this week? It is the Power Broker. Which, by the way, Josh, you predicted that the Power Broker would be showing up. Mm -hmm. I did, indeed. Everybody gets one point. I get one. So, yes. When he hasn't shown up yet, so we'll see what kind of form he will take. I would say this, this, is, this was a very interesting episode. This was one of the ones where I actually woke up at around 3.15 in the morning to at least watch the first 10 minutes, and then I proceeded to pass out once again. And this episode was also written by Derek Holstead, the writer of the, I think, first two John Wick movies, as well as now in theaters, uh, Nobody, with Bob Odenkirk of Mr. Show and Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad fame, and... By the way, if you have the ability to do so, to go to a theater or watch it on On Demand this month, I cannot recommend Nobody Enough. Nobody is a fantastic movie. If you're into the uh, overall John Wick experience, this was very much up my alley and a absolute hoot to watch in the theater. And let's just say, you will not look, you will not listen to Pat Benatar's Heartbreaker the same way again. You'll still listen with your ears, but there will be a new new uh, association you will have with it. Also, I want to talk about something right at the top of the show. Isn't it great when fans really love talking and interacting with people on social media from their favorite movies and television shows? Asterisk. Who boy, uh, Wyatt Russell, son of Kurt Russell, of WrestleMania fame. Well, it is WrestleMania season, so... Be more funny! Wyatt recently left Instagram, and it was due to the wonderful fans telling him to kill himself because he took the role of Captain America. And they worked themselves into a shoot, brother. Brother, brother, brother! And let me just tell you, that is not very good. And I think uh, it's, it's much like the explanation of the... Uh, child support person from the Simpsons explaining for the last time I cannot tell you enough trash goes in the garbage much like on the Simpsons but much like in real life you got to uh tell a difference between the two characters you know the the character and the person you know it's always infuriating to see I mean I'm a Star Wars fan so I'm like used to the fans doing stuff like that to the actors and actresses that they 
you know, they want to harass us to get out their emotion. So then that, you know, that ruined, uh, was it Jake Lloyd? Ruined Jake Lloyd's life? I, I remember when, like, this was two years ago, but the fact he had to, you know, commit himself because of Star Wars and because of, you know, the tox- the toxicity of the fan base. It, it's something that I am truly not a fan of. I mean, you know, it's not just Star Wars. It's other different whatever it is. Because people are just going to have their opinions, but to just go off and attack somebody because of what they're doing is crazy. Well, to quote Ben Affleck in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, these are fictional characters. Fictional characters. They're not real. Like, we understand that you're heavily invested in these characters. That is fantastic. But to essentially, you know, again, with pro wrestling vernacular, to be worked into this reaction, it's it's a double-edged sword when you really think about it. Because, damn, they did a really good job being a villain, but damn, now you have to file death threats. I don't understand it. I would say it, it's very much like William Shatner in that episode of Saturday Night Live with, get a life. <laughs> Just please. Hey, you guys are the... Lamest bunch. I mean, I've never seen it. I can't believe these people. I mean, I, I really can't understand what's going on. There is a world outside, and yes, you might have to wear a mask temporarily to be able to experience that, but go outdoors just for a little bit. Breathe some fresh air. And I can't believe I'm the one saying that, but here we are. I will say, though, why it was not very much in this episode. The character John Walker was not really in the episode, and it, it did, you know, give me a real kick that... Last week's episode, The Star-Spangled Man, we saw him with the uh, the uh, Captain America action figure and all that. This past week, Hasbro released that as an action figure with the packaging, with everything of what it is, as a Walmart.com and I think Walmart in-store exclusive for the Marvel Legends line. And I got to tell you guys, that is a phenomenal looking figure. And Hasbro is definitely on their game with the likenesses. They they 100% emulated that look of Wyatt Russell for this figure. Are either of you into the collecting of the figures and whatnot? Not anymore, only because I have too many. <laughs> I think the last time I hunted down a figure was to get uh, to find the only figure I could of um, uh, Saw Gerrera from Star Wars. That's the uh, Star Wars uh, Black Series, correct? I ended up having to get, like because there wasn't very much Saw Gerrera, I ended up having to get one of those little mini ones the 3.75 yeah and it was uh disheartening but fun i know that whole uh run of those figures they very much uh they did i like how those they can get away with doing more characters that otherwise might not be uh purchasable through the other series because they don't want a character to be a quote-unquote peg warmer so the smaller size and then smaller price guarantees at least you know they will be purchased you know yeah now let's get back into the episode at hand with uh this episode one of the things that immediately caught me off guard was the use of humor but also the element of a callback from the not just the movies or not just the show but the movies itself we got a callback to the winter soldier involving marvin gaye's trouble man and it led to my absolute favorite scene in the episode where even Baron Zemo is a Marvin Gaye fan and he has Trouble Man himself on repeat. That scene uh, immediately flashed me back to, I think, was it Tropic Thunder in the bit where um, Marvin Gaye, uh, not Marvin Gaye, uh, where Zemo is kind of like giving a, an armchair analysis of what it means for the African-American experience and Sam is just like looking at him. 
Um, and I love the the contrast with Bucky, where Bucky is just like, I like 40s music, and I, I refuse. Yeah, the, and we had talked off mic. Uh, one of the things that you noticed about that was the comparison with Captain America, or the difference, difference, there we go, easy for me to say. Yeah, where Steve is somebody who very much, he's a man out of time, but he never wanted to stay that way. Whereas Bucky is a person who is pretty much defined by his past and the fact that he can't move on from his past, which includes his music. He does not listen to anything put near them, uh, nearer than 40 years ago. Not 40 years ago, in the 1940s. He doesn't, like, he resists modern sensibilities in a lot of ways because he can't move on from his past. It's very interesting. A nice little way to do that. I would say it might be, you know hand in hand with uh, the trauma of everything that had gone on in his life, you know, with the uh, PTSD, especially being what he is as, you know, the Winter Soldier and all of those negative experiences. Like, I feel like going to the past for him, not going forward, is like a coping mechanism, you know? It's uh, definitely interesting that the very book that Steve used to bring himself into the present is the book that Bucky uses to remember everything he did in the past, everything that he inflicted on other people two different coping mechanisms for two different people and you know another thing about that whole scene that again it just caught me so off guard was like i said the use of humor and how subdued it was compared to other episodes of the series and one of the uh biggest grievances of a lot of uh dceu fans especially is the remark, you know, you got to be a big boy and, you know, have an R rating and curse and, you know, show boobies and all of that stuff. And humor is such a no-no. Don't don't you dare do that because that makes it a child's movie. Here's my ID, which confirms my adultivity. Which, okay, yeah, go with that argument, I guess. I don't understand why you're going with that argument, but you do you, boo. But with that, the whole idea of the humor in this is very nuanced. It's very subtle. And like I said, it caught me so off guard with how it was. And, you know, just that element of Zemo, you know, knowing the plight and whatnot, and just being very, you know, that, that whole back and forth, it got me laughing. And I really enjoyed that scene the most. And again, I like the incorporation of humor throughout the series and how subtle it's been, you know, compared to wall-to-wall laughter in other Marvel properties like, you know, Thor Ragnarok, for example. Now, one of the other things about this episode is the introduction of a new locale. And, gentlemen, when the name was dropped, I might have literally that morning shouted out, O-F expletive, because... (sighs) We got Madripoor, and if you're a big fan of Marvel's Band of Merry Mutants, you know Madripoor. You know Madripoor oh so well. And when I say Merry Mutants, I'm talking about the X-Men. And obviously there were no X-Men characters featured in this episode. Well, technically. We'll get to that in a moment. But there was a scene in here the the introduction of Madripoor, that got me really hyped. Because if you know Madripoor, you'll associate Madripoor with either the Brian Michael Bendis X-Men, where the uh, time-displaced X-Men are residing, or you'll remember Madripoor as the locale for a certain short little Canuck with claws in his hands. I'm, of course, talking about Wolverine, but his other alias, which I absolutely love, 
Patch, which, by the way, if you know Patch, Patch is a character where Wolverine just puts an eye patch on his face and says his name is Patch. That's like saying your name is Pegleg Jones because you have a peg leg or because your wife left you. But, again, let's speculate. Madripoor, what do you guys think about this? Well, I think it's an awesome way to slowly introduce the X-Men into the new universe. I had uh, talked to you about that off mic uh, yesterday prior to our recording this uh, Saturday morning. And you were just like, I had no idea. And I could only imagine your reaction to that. Uh, Jaw dropping when I finally realized, oh, now I get the connection. Now it's all coming together. So eventually, um, I think we're going to see maybe some minor characters before we get the big reveal of, uh uh-oh, the X-Men are here. Dun, dun, dun. Well, my my dream introduction of the X-Men would be, at least, you know, Wolvie. Everyone wants to see Wolverine show up. And maybe, you know, at one point, I wanted to see them recreate the uh, Incredible Hulk 181 story where he's fighting the Hulk. But... If you really want to do something different, if you really want to do something outside the box or outside the bun, Taco Bell, I would say the best way to introduce Wolvie would be as the character Patch. Something that's least expected. No one would think that. And it's a great way to introduce him and then subtly introduce the entire X-Men universe. I jokingly thought to myself this as I'm watching the episode, but when we see Sam... Bucky and Zemo walking through the bar in Madripoor, I saw a hat, one of those, you know, uh, like a fedora or, you know, bowler or whatever. But I saw one of those hats in the audience or, you know, the bar scene as they're walking through on a very short person. And I jokingly thought to myself, oh, my God, Wolverine's in the episode as Patch. But maybe that could be something like the Iron Man 2 where everyone says the little kid he saves which has been retconned and confirmed now by Lord Kevin Feige that it is in fact Peter Parker that he saves it's all connected yeah when uh when we were talking earlier about the episode and you were saying oh the X-Men references it took me a second because it was interesting to see a Mad- a Madripoor where a lot of the things that make Madripoor Madripoor the X-Men connections were kind of filtered out and replaced with more um, like a you know, Captain America stuff, and I believe the Power Broker is a Ant Man villain. So, but I really like the idea of doing that gradually, as both of you guys have said, introducing the X Men not like all at once, but the idea that these characters are around and they exist and then they coalesce, and the idea especially of of including Wolverine as a character like Patch, who is uh, he's not just in a different identity, but he's at, when he's patched, he does different things. He engages the world in different ways, allows us to introduce ourselves to the character of Wolverine in a way that is less, like, 100% all the time and see more shades of his personality than we might have seen otherwise, which is, I would agree, that's a very interesting way to do it. Madripoor, which was first introduced in New Mutants number 32, I believe, uh, according to my research, this is going to be very much... Yeah, they're, they're definitely filtering out the X-Men influences and keeping as little as humanly possible. Like, the only way X-Men is associated with it right now is by name. Although, a character is introduced in this episode, the character of Selby, who she had first appeared in Excalibur, which is an X-Men spinoff series featuring Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, Captain Britain, 
and all those characters, but that is a character that, you know, was first introduced through the X-Men universe, but super, super limited as, you know, she got shot in the head. So she did. Again, I'm excited to see what they could do with Madripoor. Do you guys think we're going to be seeing more Madripoor throughout the series, or is it going to be just one and done? Or just the overall MCU in general? I certainly hope so. I think that the, the, the idea of introducing a, like a, a location like that where it's just corruption and nothing but corruption is that it's an incubator for new ideas, especially when it comes to things like villainy. And, if, and when it comes to like the characters going on the run, they can go to Madripoor. Introducing locations and keeping them around is a good way to build things on top of those locations. And the MCU hasn't done that too often beyond, you know, like Peter Parker's school and Avengers HQ. So having these little places throughout the world that are not specifically associated with our heroes but exist is a very important step forward, so I hope so. Would you say Madripoor is a wretched hive of scum and villainy? Yeah, and the, the crab cakes aren't bad either, though. <laughs> Josh? Try the gray stuff. It's delicious. But to answer your question, yes, we're going to see more because they did you see that reference to the monkey. This big, huge purple monkey logo is just sitting up there. And it's actually a character. It's the uh, bronze monkey, who is a leader of this gang within Madripoor. So we might be seeing, since we've already seen Groot, we've already seen these other live-action type characters, we're going to probably be seeing a giant monkey leading a gang at some point. Everything I have... Wait, so you said there's going to be a giant monkey? Oh, yeah. There's a character back in the day called the Bronze Monkey. Ladies and gentlemen, be sure to also go see Godzilla vs. Kong in theaters now and also available <laughs> on HBO Max. I love comic books. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a three-way dance. <laughs> I can't wait to see that. Who will be the victor? The audience. But in this episode, one of the characters that we ended up getting more of, and it got me really excited, was the return of Daniel Brawl as Baron Helmet Zemo. And gentlemen, this episode, they're doing a really good job. See, there are the fans that, you know, very much are into the episodes and going off and harassing actors and issuing death threats and whatnot. I'm one of those fans watching this episode where I'm watching it and Kevin Feige got me hook, line, and sinker where I'm watching this thinking to myself, he's going to be a good guy, right? Because I, I really like the character. I want him to be a good guy. Oh, no, no, Zemo. No, no, no. Now I'm just turning it to Jimmy Stewart. But, you know, the idea of Baron Zemo, his actions in this episode, for the most part, were that of a good guy, at least an anti-hero. And it's going to break my heart when he turns into a bad guy, isn't it? I like the theme of the antagonists in this series. And it's all, I think Zemo's use in this episode, very it like outlines that theme even like in the most strong way it, ha it has since, is that every villain in the series is somebody who has a like a point, or is at least understandable, but their pursuit of that point has turned them into a monster. And Zemo right. talking about his backstory about how he spent his whole life heroically stopping people from replicating the serum, but after the Avengers, he just went off the deep end, and now he's just killing anybody who has powers or is trying to get powers just to, in this mad quest to keep the world safe. And it, it links to now, at the end of the, end of the episode, Carly, who, until this point, we had seen as a good, like a Robin Hood-type figure, 
with these like morals that are you know they're they're both heroic and kind of sketchy at the same time but then the end of the episode she becomes a monster and she blows up civilians and that's I think that's going to be a unifying theme to most of the antagonists of this series and it makes them very engaging and it means you kind of want to see them win even though you know they won't now where do you see the future of Zemo in the series leading the Thunderbolts hopefully <laughs> oh I did not think of that that would actually be perfect because in what one we get more of the character and two seeing him interact in a team so far he's been borderline the leader of all of these characters as of this moment like he's definitely taken control of everything going on in the episode zemo and his amazing friends pretty much and you know we're gonna go over to power broker power broker was you know being revealed in the episode and again you know as we mentioned at the top of the show Josh, you predicted Power Broker would be involved. I did. What do you think is going to happen with Power Broker? Do you th- do you think Power Broker will be revealed in the next episode? No. And the reason why I say that is because I feel like the way they're doing it is that they just want to draw it out as much as possible and then the reveal is going to happen within episode 5 or episode 6. Why do you say that? Because a character like that, I think it just it needs to be as mysterious as possible. I think that's what it's setting up the entire series for of this dramatic reveal of who is the power broker in a world. It's, it's Mephisto. Definitely Mephisto. No. Do you think so? It's too obvious. It's definitely Mephisto. Maybe the real Mephisto was the friendships we made along the way. But I love, uh, yeah, it's very much also in line with what they did with Agatha where the last two episodes of the series we get like or last three at the very least we get the big reveal with her and we also had discussed off mic the possibility of Sharon being the power broker dun, dun, dun. if we get if it's a character that we know at the very least then Sharon is a, is a possible because she's definitely up to something in magic that we don't know about I think she's just selling paints to get by paintings it's a possibility it is. I just think, you know, there again, there's a lot of speculation with this character, which I also with Sharon, I believe I predicted it. I'm not 100 percent, but I think I predicted it in the first episode or second episode. Sharon made her return to the series and into the MCU in episode three, which I kind of called happening. I had had a conversation with uh, Doug Garnum of Haven for Heroes located in Port Jervis, New York. Well, Haven for Heroes Incorporated. I still hate you guys for that video, guys. Just just a heads up. But with that, we had, you know, he had speculated to me that she might be a Hydra agent. And I said, you know, I can see that. However, I also see this being the case of that isn't Sharon whatsoever. And wait a minute. What are you talking about, Peter? Well, Sharon might very well be a scroll, And that shady, a little bit, you know, aloof behavior could be indicative of a scroll. And if that's the case, this is a series that I see tying over into the upcoming Secret Invasion event. And if you do that, these are the kind of characters that you see interacting with Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, with Ben Mendelsohn's Talos, just all of these characters that, yeah, I, I just, I don't see any other way. I think, I do think she is a scroll. 
Now, do you say that only because she could hold her own for so long while they're interrogating this guy? No, I, I say in because of the fact of she's always been like that as a character. You know, when you look at her in The Winter Soldier, she was always like that, a very forceful kind of character. I think... Standoffish, maybe, at some point. Yeah, well, I'm wondering the whole idea of her being more so standoffish in this episode is, you know, indicative of the scroll behavior alien behavior of not knowing the human species that well compared to their own, you know? So I think that standoffishness, aloofness, that might be the case. It is definitely the case that even Talos in in uh, Far From Home was a lot more standoffish as Fury than even Fury was. I, and I think ultimately when it comes to uh, Sharon, it's going to come down to who she was meeting at the end of the episode and what their deal is. And if they, if they all turn out to be Skrulls, Maybe that whole that whole uh, corner of the of this plot is going to end up being taken over to that show as well. And it sets you up later on for more Sharon Carter because just before she leaves throughout the episode, for the episode, she's like, "We have a bigger problem." Like, what is she talking about? What is she referring to? And who is this random person that's driving? Is she just a random chick, or is she not? Who is driving? Oh my God, Bear is driving. How can that be? But Ferris Bueller somehow. But in regards to that whole element of Sharon Carter, I think, you know, yeah, this is going to be something that links up to different parts of the Marvel Universe, upcoming properties. And, you you know, you look at WandaVision. WandaVision is going to be connected over to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which, by the way, uh, Bruce Campbell, actor boy Bruce Campbell, recently put up on April Fool's Day. And I don't know if it's... Cause, Again, did we just get tricked into this? I don't know, but he posted on April Fool's Day a quote-unquote picture of the script of his cameo, apparently. Because let's be honest, it's a Sam Raimi movie. We are going to be seeing Bruce Campbell, but his script that he or the script page he showed supposedly has a disheveled man with a chainsaw for an arm showing up and I want that so badly because that means then, you know, you can link this over to the Marvel Zombies versus the Army of Darkness storyline by uh, Dynamite Comics and Marvel. But I want that so, so badly because Doctor Strange in this supposed uh, scene goes, have you seen the Darkhold? And to which disheveled man goes, oh, does it have a face on it? So is a book with a face on it. So who knows? Who knows what might that mean? But I don't know. This is just a random aside. But April Fool's Day is the most painful day of the year. Oh, my God. Well, I had fun on our uh, Marvelists Facebook page recently where I posted a article, quote unquote, breaking news bit saying after the Falcon and the Winter Soldier finishes the next week, because there's going to be no new no new Marvel content until Loki, which debuts in June. So I said, well, just a heads up, guys. In between, they pumped it up. They bumped it up. Moon Knight is going to be happening. And as the source, I included a uh, 60 frames per second 4K upscale of Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up. So I got to rickroll an audience of people that believed oh so desperately and oh so valiantly that Moon Knight would be happening next. No, ladies and germs, it is not happening, but I'm never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around, and 
desert you. Never going to make you Thank cry. You. Never going to make you say goodbye. Or I, th- I just ruined the lyrics. Eddie's just shaking his head as he's listening to this episode as he is sitting in the bar with no name. Eddie, how is the bar with no name right now? Did you find out why there is no name? Well, you're not Eddie. Oh. <laughs> but with uh, this episode also, we, we talked a little bit off mic about this, all three of us, the debate about the shield. What do you think is going to be happening with Captain America's shield? Well, the, the debate about the shield is very interesting um, because it's definitely like the summation of the big difference of opinions or the big difference of themes that are kind of colliding in the middle of this show. Or Sam is taking the, the belief that, uh, well, the, maybe the shield isn't worth it because of all the blood that was spilled along the way, whereas Bucky is taking the position that uh, it's worth it because of the image and the, uh, the symbolism of what we put into it. Like, the good that we are doing with it is worth it even given all the blood that's around it, which is, uh, especially for Sam's position of uh, the, the racial aspect of the show hasn't really been evident in this particular episode, but that argument is something that is is brings it back in. Because, uh, you know, as an African-American, you have to see, like, statues of people who did great things for, like, America or great things for whatever country you're from, but also were, like, slave owners or were also engaged in like experiments for example isaiah bradley is a uh, reference to the tuskegee experiments uh how do you reconcile those two things and sam's like just get rid of it and bucky's like hold on to the good now we know that um eventually sam is going to something's going to happen with the shield we're going to get the shield back in some way but it's interesting what this means for sam's character in terms of how he's going to choose to reconcile these feelings about basically about patriotism itself well, it's like I was saying before in previous episodes, is that what we're going to see is somebody completely break from this pressure. I think it's already starting happening just at the top of the episode. You see the new Captain America already getting so frustrated, being what many would conceive as anti-Captain America. So, I think that's how I agree with Eddie on the, I think it was last week, where he was like, it's going to be him, because he's going to do something so badly that this is not our version of Captain America, and we're going to end up giving it to Sam. See, in regards to all of that, I think, you know, they, the comparison has been made quite a bit on the Internet about him. But this John Walker, Captain America, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe answer to Homelander from The Boys. And if you've watched The Boys, oh boy, <laughs> that's all I need to say right then and there. And it is a perfect comparison. One of the things, again, with this episode that I really enjoyed was the sense of callback and how we would get previous moments from the Marvel Cinematic Universe brought into the episode. And one of the biggest ones was a callback to a scene from Civil War between Sam and Bucky where the roles are reversed. And again, I love that role reversal with the characters. This time we had Sam in the back seat and Bucky wouldn't push his seat up. Sam is uh, in the back seat to a degree in this, in basically in this entire show. He's trying to figure out where his position is from the back seat of Steve's legacy. And in this episode, he's in the back seat kind of and narratively in the sense that he's being dragged along on this ride uh, with, with Bucky, who is, has this whole plan that he basically just has to go along with because it's the only way he knows how to get to go forward. 
and it's it's interesting, especially since in Winter Soldier, that's that whole plot was basically about carrying Bucky, so Bucky was in the backseat back then. And it really shows the two ones in completely different contexts. And, you know, we had talked about this off mic, but this show is really good at making me want to check out other media and do other things with it. And for like the last 20 years, I've been wanting to, you know, read The Hobbit. And over and over, you know, I know the general plot of The Hobbit. I've I've never seen the uh, fairly recent movie with uh, Freeman, but... With you know, I, I used to I used to watch the uh, animated one from uh, back in the seventies that you know when it would air on Cartoon Network in the nineteen nineties, and it's funny that it took the last episode to finally kick myself in the ass and go, Peter, you're gonna read The Hobbit, you're gonna be like Bucky, you're gonna have a metal arm and you're gonna read a book because a character in a show wa- uh, read the book. So I started reading The Hobbit, and it's kind of funny. Because in this series, you know, we again, we equated off Mike. Sam is Bilbo Baggins. He's being dragged along on an adventure out of his comfort zone. And yeah, he absolutely is being out of his comfort zone, going around, you know, dressing up as a character, doing things that he would not have done, like drinking that beverage involving a snake. And by the way, gentlemen, that was one of the most uncomfortable scenes of the entire series so far. And... Oh boy, oh boy. More or less uncomfortable than Zemo dancing. Oh, well, he has the moves, you know. Yeah, definitely in this uh, in this episode, and especially in the series in general, Sam Wilson is Bilbo Baggins. Would you agree? I, I would. The, the idea that he's like the little guy who's being dr- taken along this adventure of people who are larger than life, but in the course of that adventure, he becomes larger than life himself because of what he finds within himself separate from the pressures of everybody else around him. It's a very good comparison. Does this mean that Steve Rogers is Gandalf the Grey and Bucky Barnes is Thorin? Absolutely, though I really am trying to find out who Zemo is in this comparison. <laughs> he might be Oin or Gloin. <laughs> there's, a very, there's a very big possibility of that. One of the things about this series so far, we are three episodes in. We are officially at the halfway point of the series, and it got me thinking. You know, Josh and I, we and we had, we talked about it in the past, but when is Sam going to get the shield? We know he will get the shield eventually, but you know, because we've seen the like the Super Bowl commercial, we've seen you know random trailers over the course of the last year of him holding and throwing the shield. Maybe that's just random B-roll footage that's not going to be used in the overall product. Maybe it's just going to be a deleted scene, much how Jared Leto's "We Live in a Society" line, which mwah, Chef Kiss over here, that was a masterful line, and you couldn't use in the overall product. I mean, come on, guys, we live in a society. Just you know heads up about that but the fact you know that we may not see this we don't know maybe it was just shot for the hell of it but when do you guys think sam is going to get the shield i'm predicting episode five i'm also going to go with five because i would like to see six or he's actually unveils like you said off mic like a newer costume but uh it would be cool to see him actually use it before we were like oh we're gonna take a break from him for a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. Five. I, I wouldn't want them to do the same. The do the thing where he gets the shield right before the end of the series, and it's just like now you have it because we already did that. That's was the end of Endgame. I want to see him get it back in episode five, and then like episode six, he's exercising the use of it throughout the entire episode, kicking ass, 
doing amazing things. Um, and then we get we get this whole episode about how Sam looks as Captain America, and it'll be it'll be great. And I, I guess like a minor bit of spoiler, but it it is and it isn't because let's be honest, yeah, we all. Many of us have realized he is going to be getting the shield and he is going to be the new Captain America. And, you know, a recent toy was uh, leaked through the uh, Marvel Select line. And it may be real. It may not be. I haven't looked it up to if it has been debunked yet. But if what I saw is real, that costume of Sam as Captain America is going to be so damn badass. And I cannot wait. Overall, what did you guys think of this episode? I myself, I loved it. I thought they did a phenomenal job. It wasn't as great as last week's. Last week's was the pinnacle of what this can be. But this episode, this episode with the uh, use of Madripoor, the Again, the continual world building of the Marvel Universe, because it isn't just limited to planet Earth. It's limited to, or, you know, it also expands to outer space, expands to this, expands to that. This episode was running on all cylinders. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I, I feel like, again, it, like you said, it wasn't quite as good as the last episode, but that's only because I feel like it was more of a transitional episode, setting up things that we're about to get a big explosion for and right. I loved particularly Zemo basically everything about Zemo Zemo stole this entire episode he, he, he killed their only lead he stole their he stole everything about the episode just so he can stay in control of everything and it really felt like here's some cool Zemo before everything pops off and they, they're probably going to end up starting to kill each other again um, and I, I loved it so here's my thing is that I'll give you the main reason why I did not care for Captain America the Winter Soldier because most of that movie was a black and gray scale. It wasn't that colorful as you would expect Captain America to be. When I think of Captain America the same way I would think about Superman is a more colorful, vibrant atmosphere. When you get this episode, it's completely the opposite. When they go to this area... It's more colorful, it's more bright, uh, vibrant, and it. I feel like it's more welcoming and true to the character in the entire Marvel uh, universe where they're at. So for me, I think it was a great, it was great in that sense of finally living up to what it was supposed to be. And by the way, real quick, I just did some research, I got that wrong earlier, it's Hit Monkey, not Brass Monkey. Hit Monkey? Oh man, that from the Deadpool story. I, I just completely... Uh, um, Geeked out. Sorry. Hitmonkey is such an underrated character, and I think one of the I know they're gonna be doing I think it either is going to happen or it might have been the project might have been canceled, but I know they were supposed to do a Hulu series of Hitmonkey. I think it was canceled though. Oh, the greatest Marvel character. I mean, he's no Modoc. Just saying, you know, a gigantic head with little uh, legs. Voiced by Parton Osweird. Well, I, everyone thinks I'm crazy, but my big theory for Captain Marvel 2 is that the villain of that should be Modoc. See, I would like to see that. That would be an interesting idea. So, gentlemen, before we put a bow on this episode, want to say thank you to Allende for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me, man. And yeah, this is this has been a long time overdue episode. I know uh, when I met you on my travels throughout New York City, I believe we uh, had met at New York Comic Con. I've wanted to do this for a very long time, so thank you for joining us here today. It's been a pleasure to nerd out with you, my friend. Absolutely, and of course, you have an open invite to return to the program anytime you want. 
as long as we're recording, it's not going to be like at three o'clock in the morning. That would be a terrible idea, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm going to have like my little nightcap on and just, you know, go honk shoe, honk shoe, honk shoe in the bed because I've, I've developed an oddly specific snoring problem. Yeah, I need my beauty rest. So. Once again, thank you for joining the show. And how can people get a hold of you on them, their social medias? Oh, you can uh, get a hold of me on my Twitter, Rico, R-I-C-C-O, the Grio, G-R-I-O-T. And uh, that's a... Uh, that's my uh, primary social media at the moment. Might be doing some big stuff on that soon. For the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Iyende. And I'm Joshua Rosengrant. Excelsior!